0: Galatians, which is the freedom that we enjoy in Jesus. But I just want to start by uh, making some comments about what's happened this week. Uh, I don't uh, think it would be wrong to say it's been an extraordinary week in, in, in Europe, hasn't it been? And uh, Just Sweet Charlie has become the most trending thing on Twitter. And we've had another, um, another example of extremism that we're all having to come to terms with. And it's a really challenging time to be alive, isn't it? It's a very complicated time to be alive. There seem to be so many layers of things that uh, exist in society and uh, to kind of navigate your way through them is very, very difficult. But I do want to say this, that the Gospel speaks right into what has happened this week in Paris. And the portion that we're going to study this morning actually speaks directly into what happened this, morning, uh, this, this week in, in Paris. And I trust that um, God will speak to you and encourage you. If there's any been, ever been a time where we need to be preaching boldly the gospel of Jesus, the good news that Christ is King, and that He's died for the sins of mankind, and anyone who comes to Him finds peace and salvation, it's now. Amen? And so let's boldly proclaim the gospel All of us this year, and I want to encourage you as we pray and fast together that uh, part of what we want to see happen more and more this year is we want to see people saved. We want to see people saved, we want to see people saved, out of darkness into light. And let that be something of our prayer. Amen? So, last week I I briefly uh, preached a message called Grace Changes Us, and uh, I referred to Paul's testimony, his story of how he was saved, and I said to you that His story is a picture to us of what salvation looks like. And secondly, it's a picture to us of what the life of a Christian begins to look like when we look at Paul's story. And I made three points. First, I just said his um, salvation was a radical thing. And that's why I say to you this morning that Paul's story speaks right into what happened in Paris this week. Because Paul, too, was an extremist. Paul was a radical Paul was someone that killed people that did not agree with him. When you read his story before he was saved, that's what he was doing. He was going around killing people that were Christians because he didn't agree with them. He thought they were a threat to his, his um, Jewish tradition, and so he killed them. And if you read in Acts, the book of Acts, it says when Stephen was being stoned, the person that was approving of what was happening was Paul. And he was the ringleader, and they came and gave Stephen's clothes and laid them at his feet. Why did did they do that? Because Paul was the guy that was organizing all that stuff. He was a radical. And yet the grace of God finds him, transforms him, changes him, and then he becomes the boldest preacher of the gospel that we knew in the New Testament. That's amazing grace. That's why I have confidence that God can touch anybody and transform anybody. Because if he did it with Paul, and he's done it with me, he can do it with you, and he can do it with anybody else. Amen? Let it encourage us. So, that was the fourth thing. First thing, he had a radical salvation, but at that moment that he was saved, it said, um, we read, that he realized too at that moment that this grace that he had received wasn't just for himself, It was also for others, and he had this revelation that he needed to share the good news with others as well. And then I spoke to you about C.S. Lewis, remember? He was saved driving from Oxford to Whipsnade Zoo, just up the road. And something happened when he was driving, that all the things he had been thinking about dropped from his head into his heart and he was radically saved. He believed Jesus was the Messiah by the time he arrived at Whipsnade Zoo. He also had a radical conversion. Secondly, I said, Paul's growth in discipleship involved um, study and meditation. Remember, he went to Arabia for three years, and I encourage you, in terms of your own life, let this year be a year of study. Let this year of you being alone with God and letting God speak to you, that you can seek His heart and He can speak to you. It's not just me preaching on a Sunday or going to a home group during the week. It's you walking by faith every day of the week, by the Spirit, as God speaks to you. Amen? And then thirdly, I said grace changes us. And that really was the, the, the focus of my message last week, the grace of God that changes us. And Paul said, am I trying to please God, or am I trying to please man? And of course, he was trying to please God. And I said, most of what the gospel does in us, it transforms us from being man-pleasers to God-pleasers. That's what it does. It does a radical thing on the inside so that we don't start living for the approval of our friends and our family. We start living for the approval of Jesus. And that transforms everything. It's not that we're trying to fight with people. It's just that we honor God above all things. All right? And that was something of Paul's testimony. And then I concluded by saying, well, Paul told his story to other people. Why should we tell our story And I had a look at that as well. So if you weren't around, please get on to the podcast and uh, have a listen and catch up so that you can get into the flow of what we're going to be doing. Uh, So that concluded chapter 1. And now we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2. And I'm going to read them with you. They should come up there as well if you don't have a Bible. Uh, Paul says this, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed to be influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spire out our freedom that we have in Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for, for, from those who seemed to be influential, what, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, Father, I thank you again for your word. And once again, Lord, I just ask that you'd help me to preach with uh, compassion, with conviction, and that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so, so we're still hearing about Paul's story, but now his story moves on 14 years. He jumps 14 years uh, forward towards a meeting that he had, that had eternal consequences for you and I. And I'm so glad that Paul was brave, and I'm so glad that Paul had this meeting with the apostles, that he took them on, he challenged them, because it changed the destiny of you and me. And I don't think I'm being strong when I say that. Paul's meeting with the apostles changed how the church was going to be forever, And that's why we celebrate this thing, and that's why I'm so excited to preach to you this morning. We read in verse 1 that Paul went up to Jerusalem with his two friends, Barnabas and Titus, and it says he goes for two reasons. First, he says, I went out of a revelation that I received from God. But then he uses this interesting phrase. He says, second, I went out of fear. He says, I needed to make sure that I was not running my race in vain. And that should cause us to think for a moment, because when I think about Paul, and I read about Paul in the book of Acts, he was not a man that was given to being fearful. Why does he use that phrase? I mean, he was a bold persecutor of the church, like I've made reference to already. And once he was saved, he was even a a bolder proclaimer of the gospel. He was absolutely fearless in what he did. He traveled all over the ancient world, boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Why does he say then he went up to Jerusalem Fearful. Why does he use that phrase? Well, at first glance it seems like perhaps he was concerned that he had been preaching the wrong message, or that the the way he was preaching his message was incorrect, and that he was going up to Jerusalem for a private meeting with the apostles to check out that he was right. But that view really is impossible if you think about it for a number of reasons. First of all, he says in verse one that he went up because of a revelation from God. He knew he had heard from God. Uh, he had met with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He had, had an incredible experience, personal experience, with Jesus. And he knew that he was hearing from God. He says that plainly. So, that's, that's impossible. He, was, he, he thought he was not preaching correctly. Second, I want to say this. If you are uncertain of something, you certainly don't wait 14 years before you go and check it out. Would you agree? It says after 14 years. I mean, he'd been doing this for 14 years. If you're uncertain in any way of the gospel that you're preaching, don't wait 14 years to check it out. You go immediately. So I don't think that can be a a reason either. And thirdly, I point you to verse 8 of chapter 1, where Paul himself said to reject an angel, and even if he came preaching another gospel we were to reject that gospel. He encouraged us to do that already in the first chapter. And for those reasons, I'm I'm quite convinced that he was not concerned with the certainty of of his message, what he was preaching. He was concerned that his message was going to continue to produce fruit. That's what he was most concerned about. In other words, if the apostles in Jerusalem didn't confirm the message that Paul was preaching and rejected Paul's message, and favored the false teachers in Galatia that were saying that Paul was not preaching the whole thing, then his message would not be fruitful. And that's what he was most concerned about. He wouldn't be able to preach in the way that he was preaching. He wouldn't be able to retain the converts that had been saved. Remember, he was preaching to Gentiles. He was not preaching in a Jewish context. He had gone out of the synagogue, into the cities, uh, pagan cities, and he had seen pagan people coming to Christ. And they were saved. They weren't Jewish converts, they were Gentile converts. And so, the the crux of what the Galatian um, false teachers are saying is that Paul was preaching a message that wasn't the full gospel. And that the... the, um, the apostles in Jerusalem were preaching the full gospel, and Paul was not preaching the full, full gospel. They were saying Paul was preaching a message that was too easy. <laughs> Paul was saying, all you need to do to be saved is to believe in, by faith in Jesus, and that is enough. That's what Paul was saying. And uh, the Galatian false teachers were saying, actually, Paul, you are, you're not telling the whole truth. What you need to do to believe in Jesus is that you must become Jewish. You must be circumcised. You must wash your hands in a certain way. You can only eat certain foods. So you see why Paul was so passionate about this, that he had been running his race in vain, and why he was so passionate that people would understand the gospel that he was proclaiming was the true gospel, because if Paul had not won this battle, to be a Christian, you and I would have had to become culturally Jewish. It was an incredibly important battle that Paul was waging with these guys. They were bringing their cultural norms and saying, to be a Christian, you must embrace these cultural things as well. And Paul is saying, no. We do not embrace those cultural things. All we embrace by grace, through faith, is all that Christ has done for us on the cross, This is a radical message. So the first thing that I want to say to you is that true church unity was at stake in that initial message, that initial um, meeting that they had. On the one side of the argument, let me just say it again. We have Paul saying the gospel is faith in Christ. It's for people of all cultures. Those who believe in Jesus from every culture are saved. And on the other hand, we have these false teachers in Galatia saying, not all Jewish people are Christians, but to become a Christian, you must become Jewish. That's how plain it is. And so, if the apostles in Jerusalem had even tolerated that idea, from the very outset, the church would have been split. On the one hand, you would have had... Uh, the Gentiles saying, we're not quite sure if those Jewish guys are safe because they say we must become Jewish in order to be saved. And on the other hand, you would have, have the Jewish uh, Christians saying, I'm not quite sure that the Gentiles guys are safe because they don't follow our Jewish customs. And so this is the, the crucial thing that Paul is addressing. And it's a radical victory that he wins for all of us. And like I said to you, I'm so glad he won it. And then I want to quote, uh, I was reading John Stott's book uh, on the message of Acts, and he puts it this way. He says, It was one thing for the leaders in Jerusalem to give their approval to the conversion of the Gentiles, but could they approve of commitment to the Messiah without inclusion in Judaism? Was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not just as a reformed movement within Judaism, But as good news for the whole world and the Church of Christ as the international family of God. You see, this is the thing. The apostles Paul, um, uh, Peter, James, and John had stayed in a Jewish cultural context in Jerusalem and they hadn't worked out the implications of the gospel. Paul, on the other hand, had gone into Gentile cities and seen people converted from paganism, and so he had to confront in a far more um, radical way the implications of the gospel for those people. And it would have been easy for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to say things like, of course, to be a Christian, you must eat kosher. (laughs) Well, because they were in a Jewish context. But Paul was outside of that Jewish context, and he was confronted with these things. Well, what do we eat? How do we wash? Pagans that had come out had no reference to any Jewish tradition whatsoever. And so there are these two opposing parties, and um, that's why it was such a big issue for Paul, and that's why he uses phrases like this. He says that the freedom we have in Christ is at stake, he says the very truth of the gospel is at stake. And I love Paul, he's a very bright guy, a very clever man. He doesn't. He doesn't talk in theory. He doesn't go up to, the, to, to Jerusalem and debate with the apostles and say, let's have a nice debate. Do you know what he does? He takes his friend. He takes Titus. He takes a real, living, uncircumcised Greek, Titus, and he takes Titus, his friend, to the apostles, and he says, what are you going to do about my mate? What are you going to do about my mate? This man that I love, this man that I've seen saved out of his pagan history and past, what are we going to do about about Titus? Must he be circumcised? Are you telling me he must be circumcised? Paul is sharp as a razor. And of course we read in verse 3, Fortunately, the other apostles see what Paul is saying, and they say in verse 3, Not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised, And so by God's grace, the apostles see what Paul is saying. They shake hands with Paul and Titus. That's a symbol of deep fellowship. And they say in verse 6, their conclusion in verse 6 is, God does not judge by external circumstances. Yes, please. God does not judge by anything external. What you eat, how you wash... What you dress, the clothes you wear, he doesn't judge by any of those things. What he judges is by our internal things of the heart. Do you believe by faith in Christ? That's the only thing he judges on. See, external things have to do with what we do. Internal things have to do with our being, who we are. And Christianity, the Christian faith, is always primarily 1st most importantly, about who we are before it speaks into anything about what we do. Are you with me? It's about who we are, our being inside. And so, Paul is making this radical proof through the life of Titus about what he's preaching. And you know, you might say, Antjevei, why are you so raving about this, because it is a fundamental issue and it's fundamental to understanding what the Christian faith is. It's absolutely crucial. We cannot make ourselves pure by ritual, by washing, by doing the right thing. The only thing that pleases God is an internal change that comes by faith, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And the New Testament says it over and over and over. Colossians 1.22 Jesus um, has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Uh, Hebrews 9 verse 9. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Hebrews says it plainly. Mark 7, John 13, Only in Christ can we become holy without blemish, and ceremonial laws have not been much as, as so much abolished or replaced as completely fulfilled in Jesus. This is what the New Testament says over and over again. And so I want to say to you that I'm going to say it over and over again because we need to be reminded over and over again in our daily lives that it's not through our rituals, it's not through our prayer, it's not through doing the right thing, it's not through anything that we are made acceptable except by the blood of Jesus. And we need to remind ourselves day. Daily, daily, daily. And so I'm so glad that Gentiles could become full members of God's people without becoming Jewish in custom or culture first. And Paul makes that point very clearly. So then, two little points to finish. One, how does the gospel lead us to freedom? If it's about the freedom of the gospel, how does the gospel lead us into freedom? First, the gospel leads us into cultural freedom. Cultural freedom. What I mean by that is this. If you follow a moralistic religion, which says you have to to eat a certain thing, you have to dress a certain way, um, and you have to specifically adopt those rules in order to please God and have certain regulations for dress and behavior, if you obey that kind of... um, code of conduct or whatever, what you're really saying is that you need to obey these rules quite specifically because your salvation depends upon it. <laughs> yes? And so that's why people get so concerned about in, 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 uh, in the moralig- moralistic religions, get so concerned about dress, and get so concerned about how you wash and uh, observing certain fasts, because their salvation depends on them doing that. But you see, Jesus, Jesus puts the bar so much higher. <laughs> he, says, he says radical things, confusing things, challenging things like, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> he says, I'm not just asking you to dress and eat a certain way. I'm asking you to love people. And I'm asking you to love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, that raises a whole lot of other questions. But if you're living by rules, you just want things like don't drink, don't smoke, don't go to the movies, follow the rules, and that pleases God. Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm talking about completely different things, much deeper things. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, this is the problem with adopting a moralistic rule code is that it doesn't take any account of different cultures. What do I mean? Well, if those false teachers had their way in Galatia... And Paul hadn't won that victory with the um, apostles in Jerusalem. Then, any Englishmen? Any who's English here? Any Italian? Any Italians here? Any Brazilians here? Any Yorkshire? Welshmen? Welshmen? Yes, because they're not English, of course. So, Welsh. Yorkshiremen? Anyone from Yorkshire? I know there's some people. Yes, there's some Yorkshiremen here. Any French people here? Frenchmen? South Africans? Zimbabweans? Nigerians? Yeah? whole bunch of different nations in this church this is my point whatever cultural group or nation you come from it would not have been possible for you to become Christian without becoming culturally Jewish first so in other words if Paul had not won this victory in every city of the world there would be little cultural ghettos of Christians not engaging with the culture not trying to transform communities, just in their little cultural ghetto. And you see, we are not concerned as Christians with external separation from the culture. We are concerned with internal distinctives in our lives. And the internal distinctives that we are concerned about are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. That's what we are most concerned about as Christians. Not separating ourselves from the culture by dress or by fasting or by doing this or not by doing that. No, there are internal distinctives that we want by the power of the Holy Spirit to show on the inside of us that everybody can see. Regardless of what you wear, how you eat, that you love Jesus. And it shows because there's something transforming on the inside of you. This is a radical gospel, and this is the gospel of Jesus. And so, if you've been part of this church for any time, and you've read something of our values, we are learning as a church to walk in a culture of grace. We are embracing a gospel culture. And a gospel culture that we're learning from Jesus, has to do with these things. Unity. Yes? Why? Because Jesus says... Where there's unity, God commands His blessing. And unity comes when we choose to believe the best of other people. Yes, we believe the the best of others and we choose to speak well of other people especially when they're not around. We speak well of them. And unity comes when we can talk about our differences, and I'm different from you, and you are different from me. True unity comes when we don't accuse each other because they are different. Uh, you are different from me, and I'm different from you. It doesn't, we don't accuse each other. We learn to become mature and love people that are different from us and don't do things in the same way that we do them. And my friends... I long to see this church increasingly become more multicultural and more diverse. If we don't learn to get on with people that are different from us or respond differently, and if we're not mature enough to say, it doesn't matter that you don't do it like me, we will never see this church grow. Why? Because then we will just have only the people that do things like we do and see the world like we do. (laughs) Heaven is going to be full of people that are completely different from us. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to have redeemed culture in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every people group, redeemed cultures, worshipping God with all of their hearts. Yes, it's so exciting. And surely the church on earth should be a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven one day. Come on now. And of course we like to be with people that are, are, are like us. And that's good. It's good, but I want to encourage you this year as we go forward as a church, and God adds all sorts of different people, can you embrace them? Can you enlarge your heart, even if they're not from Wales, or even if they're not from South Africa, or even if they're not from Yorkshire, or even if they're not from Brazil, or even if they're not from Sweden, or even if they're not from London, or even if they're not from St. Albans, whatever, you hear what I'm trying to say? God loved the whole world. Unity, forgiveness. You know, forgiving those who hurt you can be hard. We celebrated twenty-two years of marriage this week, and I think that Helen's done well, eh? We should applaud Helen. But I want to say this as well. We were amazed. We put a couple of pictures up on Facebook, and how many people just said congratulations, and we oh, we were thrilled. We thought, oh, thank you, Lord, these people. But you know. You can put a nice romantic picture up on Facebook. But it doesn't really tell the whole story, does it? In fact, it doesn't tell anything of the story. (laughs) The real story is for 22 years, we've had to learn to get on with each other. And we've had to fight. And we've had to resolve our conflicts. And we've had times when we've been mad with each other. Probably Helen more mad with me than anything else. And we've had to learn to forgive. Again, and again, and again, and again. And of course, there are wonderful times of celebration and, and, and loving each other when it's going well. But it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? When you put a nice romantic picture up on Facebook and everyone says, well done. <laughs> so I'm trying to encourage you. It's always There's always more than meets the eye, isn't there? And it's the hard yards, isn't it? It's, it's the time when you really are needing to love each other. And choose to love each other, that really counts. Amen? And, and forgiveness is so much part of that, isn't it? Okay. Servant-heartedness, that we are team players. Authenticity, that we reel with each other. Why? When you reel with someone, you know, if I was to preach every week like I was the perfect person, would you feel comfortable to speak to me about anything? Probably not. You would think, well, he's got it all together. I just want to tell you, I don't have it all together. I've never had it all together. And my family does not have it all together. And part of being authentic is learning to say, actually, sometimes we are strong, but many times we are weak. And when we are weak, we need you to hold up our hands as our friends. And I'll do the same for you. That's an authentic community. That's not pretending that I've got it all together. Because I don't have it all together. (laughs) No one does. Courageous faith. I'm encouraging you this year that this year be a a, a year of courageous faith, that we all take great, bold, huge, dreaming steps for God. And I want to tell you this, that as you take those steps and you go for it, if you fail, that's okay. We will applaud you. It's better to dream big for God and attempt good things for Him and great things for Him than to attempt nothing and do nothing. Amen? So let's hold up each other's hands and encourage those. You know, perhaps you pray for healing for someone and everyone will say to you, did they get healed? And perhaps they didn't get healed. But I want to commend you for even praying for them. I want to say, yes, well done, do it again. Come on now. Courageous faith, honor and respect. Okay, so the gospel brings us cultural freedom. Secondly, and I'm finishing with this, the gospel brings us emotional freedom. Oh, that's so important too, isn't it? It's not just about our culture that we can bring who we are uh, into the kingdom. It's also about our emotions. And I tried to speak a little bit about about this last week. But the gospel leads us into emotional freedom. What do I mean by that? Well, simply this. If you believe your relationship with God depends on keeping up a moral code and behaving well, you will always be on an endless treadmill of guilt, anxiety, anxiety, and not quite sure that you've been doing it right. That's the only option that there is. You see, I want to say this to you. When you read Paul's letters, he never excuses Christian believers from the Ten Commandments. What am I saying? I'm saying it is right that Christians do not kill It is right that Christians do not steal. It is right that Christians do not uh, covet other people's possessions. It is right that Christians do not have adultery. All these things that the Ten Commandments say. It is absolutely right, and Paul always commends the moral imperatives of what God says. But the reason for doing that is what Paul is saying we need to get right. Are you with me? This is the gospel. We don't... um, Obey the Ten Commandments because we are afraid that if we do not obey the Ten Commandments, we are going to get punished and God is going to deal with us severely. No, we obey the Ten Commandments out of love for Jesus, who's already made us right with God, who's obs- we are fully accepted as sons and daughters of God, and because we love Him, our worship is to honor Him with our lives. That is a completely different motivation. The one is anxiety and guilt and fear, the other one is joy and liberty and freedom. Thank you, Jesus. It's a completely different thing. And so I want to put it to you another way, that Paul and the false teachers in Galatia were telling Christians to obey God's commands, but for totally different reasons and motives, and so the gospel provides us with cultural freedom we can enjoy our culture, we don't all have to dress the same way or eat the same thing, we can enjoy our culture and I love it when we have times when we get uh, hot curries from Nigeria and Kenyan food and English food and French food and we all celebrate by eating different kinds of foods you know what you do when you eat with someone from a different culture and you accept their food? You're saying I'm accepting you I'm having fellowship with you. That's a beautiful thing.
1: Oh, no, no, I don't eat
0: that. Well, I have to say, in Cambodia, there was one thing I didn't eat. (laughs) I can't even remember what it's called. Did I tell you the story? Sorry? Pontong. Pontong. We went for snacks one night, and I like snacks, so I thought it would be dim sum or something like that. So we go to this little stand on the side of the road, and it's under a shack, and they serve us duck eggs. But inside the duck egg is a 21-year, 21 21-day-old 21 chick, and it's been cooked inside the egg. And the guys are lopping off the thing and going and eating these, eating these little um, things. Well, I, I had to say, Jesus forgive me, I cannot do that. <laughs> so, but I do generally love food. All right, I do love food. And when you when you embrace someone's food, you're embracing them. You're embracing their culture, and let that encourage you. You know it's a very simple thing it's a very powerful thing when you eat with someone you're saying I love you for who you are I embrace your culture let's do that with each other alright so Paul says if we don't hold to this gospel we are preaching another gospel and he says every other gospel brings you into slavery and only this gospel liberates you into freedom if you want cultural freedom if you want freedom in your emotions and your life internal life Paul says, the way to find that is not by trying very hard, it's by believing by faith, by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ, and He does it on the inside of you. This is a wonderful gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. So I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask us to pray, and I do want to ask you to respond this morning, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and pray, because I want to ask you three questions this morning, and then we're going to pray for you in these three areas. All right? One, Have there ever been times in your life when you've begun to think that your performance counts towards your salvation? Have there ever been times of that? What made you think that way? What made you think that if you actually perform very well, it's going to please Jesus more than if you don't perform very well? And that's something that we need to deal with by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'd love to pray for you if you feel that you've been trying to live your life out of performance, doing the right thing. We want to pray for you. Secondly, are there any nice and proper attitudes that you've learned from your culture and your upbringing that you've added on to your Christian faith? (laughs) In other words, you say to yourself, real Christians do things this way, my way. (laughs) And often those are things that we learn from our culture, isn't it? When we first planted this church, we came from a South African environment, and we had to, we've, it's taken us a long time to unlearn some things that are essentially cultural things. They are not gospel things. And when the way we were doing church was actually cultural to our context that we came from. Are you with me? And we're trying to learn and embrace culture so that we can minister here. <laughs> well. So we can't add on our cultural things and say well you know real Christians do things exactly the way that I do them because I'm comfortable within my culture okay so think about it are there things that you've added on to the gospel and said actually those are really important for Christians when they're actually just cultural things and thirdly do you ever feel insecure and guilty in your relationship with God and this is a big one do you feel insecure or Guilty in your relationship with God, and what might that tell you about how you view being accepted by God? That's a big one, isn't it? Because I want to say this to you as lovingly as I can wherever there's guilt in your life, and wherever there's fear in your life, and whether there's insecurity, it's at that point that you're not trusting the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You see. Annika gave an amazing testimony this morning, didn't she? Of financial provision. It's a very obvious one. When you get fearful about your finances, that there's not going to be enough, what are you actually saying at that moment? You're saying, I trust money more than I trust God as my provider. Isn't it true? And so, there might be other places in your life where you can identify insecurity or guilt or fear. And we want to pray for you as well, that God would help you do. Deal with those by the power of the Spirit, that He would bring liberty and freedom to you as your relationship with Him becomes more and more secure. Is that okay? So I'm going to ask you to be bold this morning, and if you need prayer in any of those areas, just come forward now.